I think we've established that I am possibly the worst intelligence officer in Australia. Would that be correct? I think we established that in episode one. Pretty much. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say that I'm not. Um, what? I'm, act- I'm actually going to say that there, <laughs> there was an intelligence officer that was probably worse than me. Mr. Bean. Uh, he was worse than Mr. Bean. Okay. Let's Ooh. talk about a guy by the name of Jean-Baptiste Wispelier. Oh, I like the name. Oh, yeah. You're listening to I Spied, the foiled espionage plot of Australian intelligence. I have 1,300 US documents here, that, and all I want is just chilli crab. Chilli crab? Chilli crab, please. One or two? Two. Am I being greedy? Hello and welcome to I Spied. My name is Michelle Stevenson. I'm here with David Callan and a very interesting proposition that you weren't the worst intelligence officer. Yes, I know. I know a lot of people out there are like going, come on, that's really, dude, you're an idiot. But I know. this guy, and this is also a listener request. This was brought up by our old friend, Salty Sea Dog. I think, I think you're enjoying the listener request because it's just like, I don't have to think about anything well, anymore. Someone just asks for it and I'll give it to them. Well, the other thing is I suddenly start exploring things and I'm like going, holy crap, this is amazing because it's also, this is a story of a massive screw up by ASIO as well. Right. So that's the ASIO connection here. Right. But Jean-Baptiste Wispelier. I think you just like saying that. I do. I'm going to say okay. quite a lot. <laughs> uh, a Canadian-born Australian. Yep. Uh, with French-Canadian. Uh, French-Canadian, of course. Jean-Baptiste. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Right. Well, they don't speak with a French accent. They've no. got this ugly Quebecois yeah. accent. Oh, they was, oh, he might just go, I'm out in a boot. I'm out in a boot and I enjoy Putin. Yeah, I'm really sorry. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he was a DIO officer, so okay. Defence Intelligence Organisation in Canberra. And uh, he'd been working there for about six months. And then he had this brilliant idea and he stole about 1,300 US intelligence documents okay. and decided to sell them. Okay. Now, how do you sell something like that? I mean, we do have the story of the uh, supposed ASIO mole who was just throwing it over the Russian embassy fence. Mm-hmm. But this guy travelled to Bangkok and went to a foreign embassy there to say, look, I've got access to all this intelligence. Would you like it? Yep. Now, nobody knows exactly, but the suspicion is it was the Singaporeans that he approached, which really makes you go, why, why? Singapore? Yeah. It's like, yeah, the Straits of Malacca, but come on, what else? You like the chilli mud crab. Well, what did they do? I don't know. They immediately contacted the FBI in the United States and went, right. we had this guy from Australia, who's also Canadian, offer us all this intelligence, to which the FBI went, oh, give us his number, we'll give him a call. Yeah. And they gave him a call. And they set up a meeting. But they said, uh, yeah, we're these, we are Russians in Washington. Come talk to us. Okay, so it's a sting within a sting within a sting. It's a massive sting. It's very so layered. Jean-Baptiste gets on a plane, flies over to the United States to meet these Russian contacts and winds up in a jail cell. Now, funnily enough, the Americans do this a lot. The FBI are very, very good at these little sting operations. Right. A great example was I was talking to one of their hostage negotiators back in the day when I worked for ASIO. What, can I just ask, why did he think... I think he offered something to Singapore yeah. and then the Russians who were in America yeah. offered him a meeting yeah. and he flew over there thinking that was going to be okay. Yeah, look, you'll figure it out as we go into this story. <laughs> okay. But the Americans do that a lot. They did it after the Beirut hijacking where American yeah, hostages yeah, yeah. were held for months. Yep. Everyone got back. And, of course, when you're a hostage, you get debriefed by intelligence services. Mm-hmm. You know, who were the guys that were holding you? Can you give us any IDs, names, stuff like that? Every single one of the hostages said one of the guards, at some point, the guards would approach them and go, can you help me migrate to America? Right. So one guy actually went, yeah, look, here's my business card. Call me when I get released. And the guard did. And he rang the FBI and went, this guy said he's going to fly to America and and I'm going to help him migrate. I'll tell him to bugger off. Mm. And the, the FBI went, no. 
tell him to come on over. Yes. And the guy is spending the rest of his life in America. It's just he's only seeing eight feet by ten feet of it. He's stuck in a cell. So Jean-Baptiste flies to America and gets arrested by the FBI. This is where the story gets kind of crazy. Because okay. while he's in prison waiting trial, he swallows razor blades, he gouges oh his wrists open, he bashes his head against a wall. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy was seriously unstable. Yeah. And it would sort of that's when the Americans went, how did this guy wind up working for a military intelligence mm. service? And it comes down to ASIO's vetting. And they missed a couple of things about Jean-Baptiste that maybe they should have picked up. One, he had three nationalities. He was Australian, he was Canadian, and he was French. Now, that isn't a problem. So French-Canadian or just French? French and Canadian. Okay. And Australian. Can you have three? Well, yeah, you can, but mm. like he could never serve in Parliament. Okay. Under Section 44. Okay. Um, now, so one, he's got three nationalities. That in and on of itself is not a problem. No. Right? Two, he had an obsession with aliases. In fact, he was kicked out of Wellesley College in Melbourne for having multiple teenage identities that he created for himself. So Amazing. He loved it. Now, again, not a problem. I mean, it's kind of first question is why. Yeah. But if it was so I can go buy booze when I'm underage, well, you know what? I've Makes got sense. a teenage son and he's often gone, can I borrow your ID? You do not look like a 55-year-old man, mate. Sorry. So there's that. Um, now, the other one that was probably was a red flag was he had financial problems. Right. Now, that is a big red flag when you're vetting someone. Yeah, because you're compromised. You're compromised. You, you can be compromised. Yep. Also, there were rumours of a suicide attempt when he was a child. Oh, my gosh. So this is also now looking at the psychological mm. profile of this guy and going, hang on, how do we miss all of this? Also, because it turns out all of it was open source material. Now, I would imagine that, well, I would would have thought that psychological profiling would have been quite thorough, would yeah, it not? Well, I would too. But then again, I worked for ASIO. Yeah. I got through their psych assessment. But then again, the psych assessment of me was essentially – Relatively stable, which I'd like to say I am. And also, it did say that I was a very conservative man, which I just went, really? Or is it is it because that ASIO needs people that are kind of on the cusp of just being a little... No, I think they pick me up because, really, I find psychological tests kind of obvious. Yeah. It's very easy to give them the answer they want. Yeah. Uh, but they, as I said, be honest. Don't give us the answer you think we want. Give us the answer that you really feel. And I think if you actually do that, that's first indication. It's like, this guy's not really cut out for this job. Yeah. So this guy, he got through all of this testing without it ever being revealed by ASIO or to ASIO. And yet, as soon as Weird. this guy was arrested in 1999, and that's when it all happened, when he was arrested, within days- the Americans knew. The journalists knew. Oh. Right. They'd already picked it up. So it, this guy should never have been in the job. M- maybe Google wasn't proficient then. Oh, no, no. There was Google in 1999. <laughs> <laughs> there was. Maybe that's the problem. Couldn't but Google him. You couldn't Google him. Didn't know what's going on. Yep. Uh, yeah. Is, yeah. Is Google working? No. Oh, right. Damn. So there's that. Sign him up. <laughs> now, here's where the story really kicks up a gear. Oh, really? I- yeah. Oh, wait. According to the document you sign when mm-hmm. you, you're going to handle classified material, you sign a document that basically says you're not allowed to share this with anyone. And if you do share this with anyone, you are then subject to the laws and legislations of Australia. Okay. So then technically the Americans couldn't process him. Uh, Technically the Americans shouldn't process him. Right. But what happened was the Americans took one look at Australia's legislation and went, he'll only get seven years for this. No, we're going to take this one. He's ours. He'll get 20. And here's the thing. They basically said, it's our material. 
He was selling our material. Mm. He's our guy. Yeah. And the Australian government went, cool, that's fine. We'll wash our hands of this. Yeah, because it made them look bad. Well, not only does it – one, it makes them look bad because the guy was, A, selling the stuff. B, yeah. he probably shouldn't have been in the job. C, Australia's laws weren't strong enough, yeah. according to our foreign – our ally. Yep. Now, what happened was, pretty much straight afterwards, John Howard immediately turned around and turned that seven years to 20 so it's a 20-year sentence if you try to sell classified material out of Australia. Right. Yeah, it's suddenly like we've beefed up our laws. Um, Which kind of makes sense. Seven years isn't really that much. No, it's not. But here's the thing. He was sentenced in, I think, 2001 or 2002 to mm-hmm. 15 years in prison. He is no longer in prison. Oh. He's already been released. Well, yeah, didn't, um, you know, the whistleblower, he got out pretty quick. Yeah, well, look, everyone. You know, she now, sorry? She? She? Yes, Chelsea. Chelsea. Yes. Meanwhile, uh, there's Assange still languishing somewhere in a cell in the UK, having lived in a toilet. Yeah, but I feel like that's because Assange has never faced – he's just spending his whole time in diplomatic immunity. He's avoiding it. So he's avoiding it. Well, he's not in diplomatic immunity anymore. He's in prison. They finally locked him up. Yes, but but that's why he's taken – he's been spending so long And again, we were awaiting trial and, you know – COVID. COVID has kind of stopped a lot of these trials as well. One of the things that happened with Jean-Baptiste's sentence was he also got time served. So the amount of time he was in prison and that was when it really got – it was bad for Mm. him. And it became – essentially they said he had a schizophrenic break while he was in prison. It didn't help that his lawyers went, Look, he's just a bad version of a James Bond fantasy. Mm. And Jean-Baptiste himself said, I, you know, I, I thought I could be James Bond. I thought this would be my James Bond moment. Yeah, right. But it didn't help that, A, his lawyers were both going, what the hell? Yeah. And, but his father described him as a fool, his <laughs> loony son, and an idiot. Now, as it was, uh, the lawyer, his Australian lawyer, uh, a barrister by the name of Hemelock, he basically turned around and said, look, this was not uh, – it was basically a father going, oh, my son's a fool. Like yeah. He's an idiot. Yeah. It wasn't, I am angry with him. It was like he, it was disappointment. It was not anger. Sadly, and this is a really, again, when I say this is Grecian in its, mm. its tragedy, the neighbor of uh, Jean Beef's father, who I think his name was Claude, yeah. the neighbor found, like, realized he hadn't seen Claude for a couple of days. Now, he said that Claude was a quiet man, eventually sort of called the police to his home in Melbourne to say, look, I'm really worried about my neighbor. Can you go mm. check on him? They found him in his home dead from a nail gun wound to the heart. Oh, my God. And it was self-inflicted. Of course. He shot himself with a nail gun. Now, the reason why, was it his son? We don't know. That's never, there was no note, there was nothing. He was just found dead on the floor. So this is the dad? This is the dad. Oh, my gosh. So. um, This is so, okay. Yeah, when I said Grecian. Yeah. I said Greek Greek tragedy. It's it's a really terribly sad story. Yeah. So at the end, on the International Prison of Exchange. How do you, like, you did. <laughs> well, if you press it to your heart, I know. it hits the switch, so then you just hit the trigger and the He must goes. have really worked out where he had to press it, right? Pretty much between the second and third rib. Yeah. yeah. You'd have to be. That's where you stick this. You'd have the to be so specific. Remember to twist as you pull out, because <laughs> then it rips the, the chamber of the heart open and you literally bleed out. Of your okay, can we, uh, oh, I wasn't taught that by ACO. No, they didn't teach me how to slap <laughs> someone to death. I figured that out from a movie. Uh, that was from small weapons training for actors. Great. <laughs> Seriously, I've done the course. How to, I feel like you've learned more in small weapons training from actors than you did your whole time in ASIO. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. Look, I've emptied a magazine of an Owen submachine gun into a guy in the street in Randwick. 
Well, they were blanks. What the fuck are you actors doing? <laughs> Look, crime is huge, right? Crime is a huge thing. Because you're not making money anywhere. You're, you're just part-time hitman, aren't you? <laughs> Essentially, that's yeah. all I do. Really, look, that's why I don't use the Anom app because everybody's on it. Everybody. Uh, well, not anymore. <laughs> My favourite part of the whole story is the fact that criminals were actually paying a subscription service for it. Paying a subscription. 238 US dollars a month for the FBI to track their every To the FBI. Stuff. Yeah, it's great. But I still love my favourite is the way. To me, it's. Look, we're going to do a mini episode yeah, yeah, on this yeah, one because yeah, essentially yeah. I just. I'm ready to go. I Drink champagne. It's hilarious. Well done, AFP and FBI. Classic sting operation. Yeah. But let's get back to anyway, this. Anyway, yep. Get back to this. So essentially, Jean Baptiste is meant to come back to Australia on the prisoner exchange program. Yep. He refuses. And now he's got a 15 year sentence. He's lost a couple of years off that sentence mm-hmm. because he's going to, because of time served, waiting to be sentenced and going to trial and all of that. And then he's got the prisoner exchange program where he can come and serve the serve out his time in an Australian prison. Only thing is, he he doesn't have any siblings. He doesn't have anyone here. He's got no reason to come. His father is dead. His mm. mother and his, I believe, his mother and father were separated. Yeah. I think his mother is still in Melbourne. I'm not sure. But essentially, what happens is he just like goes. No, I'm just going to wait here. His American lawyer and his Australian lawyer basically said he was in the prison waiting for release and then he was deported to Canada and has never been seen or heard from since. No way. So where is he? He's in Canada. He's probably in Quebec. he's out? He's out. Okay. Uh, But it was like, you know, come back to Australia. And Because they know. Why? Yeah. Um, And I can understand one of the reasons why that would have been is there would have been that sense of betrayal in that, hang on, I signed a document that said if I was going to be prosecuted, I'd be prosecuted by you, and yet it winds up that I get prosecuted by the US. Now, the Australian government position of that is, one, they arrested you in the United States with their material on you. So, one, that's a point. Two, it was their stuff you were selling. Three, and most importantly, we don't want to upset our ally. And also for the Americans who are going, we don't care what your law is. Our law is stronger and we want to use it. Plus, also, it's less cost to the taxpayer. Oh, we don't have to put him into a prison. We no. don't have to feed him. We don't have clothing. We don't have to go through the, the legal process. I mean, literally, we probably would have had to spend some money on lawyers in the States, and he had a lawyer in Australia. Yeah. But that could have been pro bono for all we know. So then this happens. Does then ASIO go, well, how did this happen? Do we need to do more? I think there would have been a lot of soul searching within the organisation at that point. How did this actually happen? How did this guy wind up not being picked up? Because there were massive red flags on this guy. To be perfectly honest, if he had a schizophrenic break in prison while waiting trial, which, I mean, you're under stress, it's understandable. Looking at the sort of flags that were being flying, it's like, man, you should have spotted this. Yeah. And he should not have been going into an intelligence system. Or be, you need stable people in there. As 100%. Much as, as much as you need lateral thinking and you need extraordinary imagination, you don't want it to become delusional. And that really strikes me. What he did almost strikes me as delusional because it was like, yeah, I can walk out of here and I'll walk up to an embassy and I'll hand them this material and yeah, be cool. It's yep. never going to work. But also- Singaporean? And I don't really understand that. And was that ever revealed? Well, it's never been actually disclosed. No one, and to be perfectly honest, whichever government it was or whichever diplomatic mission that was approached, they probably don't want to be known as the ones that would dob you in. With with stuff like this and people who tend to go rogue, are those files kind of sealed? Do we ever know about it? Or is it just they get outed? 
He was outed because he was charged in America, right? right? And if it happened in Australia, when we arrest terrorists, yeah, we expose them. And they, they were as soon as they go into the court system, mm. it's exposed. Now the interesting thing at the moment is Witness K, yeah, where they've literally dumped as much secrecy as they can on it. Where Bernard Caleri is constantly going, "Come on, guys, you know this is unfair." It's like literally, yeah. How can he have a fair and open trial if everything about the trial is in secret? Yeah, the fact that we only know him as Witness K. Now, that's because it's extremely embarrassing for the government what's going on, particularly when you find out that the minister that was in charge of what has been exposed, Mm. the bugging of the Dilly cabinet room, then went on to work for the company that benefited the most from that bugging. So go go through Witness K and the whole thing, because I think you're probably jumping into something that not everyone is fully across. Okay, and it was actually something that Salty, our our friend Salty, said. You know, you've obviously talked about Witness K, which went, no, we actually haven't. We've touched on it briefly, but we haven't really gone through it. Essentially, Witness K was working for, I believe it was ASIS. He came across information that said that ASIS had bugged the Timorese cabinet room. During the negotiation for the Sunrise, I think it is, oil and gas field. Just so kind of like cars. a whistleblower. Right. So we blew the whistle on the yep. fact that, hang on, Australia had bugged this place and then Australia wound up with the lion's share of this gas and oil. For a, a, a very small, brand new, starving mm. country, yep. we took it all. And it all went to a company called Woodside. And funnily enough, the minister in charge of ASIS is the foreign affairs minister, uh, who just happened to be at the time a young chap from South Australia by the name of Alexander Downer, who then, as soon as he left Parliament, wound up working as a consultant for Woodside Petroleum. And it just stinks of corruption. Now, whether it was the two are unrelated, that's to be seen. But Witness K is now being charged for whistleblowing. And this happens a lot in Australia. You don't want to be a whistleblower here because uh, we don't have any protections for whistleblowers. Yeah, which are kind of some of the some of the real issues with mm. a lot of our stuff not getting out. I mean, we saw it, you know, with the ABC officers getting raided. Yep. Like looking and searching for who that whistleblower was. was. It, uh, McBride, I think it was. There's a, another whistleblower. It might have been McBride who brought up the David McBride. Was that the name? I'm, I'm trying to remember. But he was the guy who brought up the whole war crimes in Afghanistan thing. Yes. Now he's now sort of being charged as a whistleblower as well. This is the problem. We need whistleblowers within an organization. We need accountability. We need accountability. And as soon as you charge people for going trying to hold an organization up for, for accountability, that's when you run into trouble. And and I understand that it's a fine line, right? Because you know there is an expectation that certain things should not be put into the public domain. Look, but um, you know you know the perfect example of the Afghanistan one, like, you know, there are some things there that we really needed to know. Yeah. And that needed to change. Yeah. Like drinking from a, a dead man's prosthetic yes. limb is just not, go- not, not fun. It's not a good look. It's not a great look. But on the flip of that, yes, we need to know about these things. But did we need WikiLeaks to dump literally every diplomatic no. cable from the US? I, and I don't, I don't believe we did. And Edward Snowden is another one. And the thing with Snowden is he walked out. I actually did the maths. He took in a hard drive and literally downloaded it. Millions of documents. Yeah. Essentially, the physical manifestation of that was he would be driving out of there with two pallets of paper. It's insane. Like tons. So, look, and I understand that people need to be held accountable for, you know, crimes against whoever they're working for. You know, you shouldn't be able to just be able to walk into ASIO and download anything and walk out with it and try and sell it. No. Like, I completely agree with that. But there are moments where being a whistleblower 
is beneficial. It's well, it's important. And it's and, important. And we don't protect whistleblowers. We in don't. Australia. Now, getting back to Jean Baptiste. Yeah. He was not a whistleblower by any No, any he was just a crazy man. He was essentially he saw an opportunity to make money. Yeah. And he took it. But he also had that idea that I'm you know, I'm some sort of maverick spy. Yeah. Again, not a good look, and it does not did not help him at all in his case. He now lives in Quebec, well, likely Quebec. It could be anywhere in Canada. But the interesting thing is, even his lawyers have said we we wouldn't know where to find him. He somebody, I think, a newspaper tried to contact him around about two thousand nineteen to ask questions. It was just like dead silence. Nothing. Surely, though, someone would have tabs on him. Oh yes, I would imagine most definitely. I yeah. should imagine. But the other thing is, he's no longer an asset really at all, simply because he would never ever be given access to intelligence ever again. He's been charged for like- Espionage. Espionage. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of like, that would be a red flag that even ASIO wouldn't miss. Yeah, and I would imagine too that the Canadian government would have some kind of tabs on him as well for that. Likely. They probably got the. Uh, Mind the you, they're pretty. They're pretty lax over in well, Canada. The no, 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 no. CSIS, it's called the <laughs> Canadian Security Intelligence Service. Uh, also, the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted I Police. I love the Royal Canadian Mounted. Oh, Police. I love the R- I love the Mounties. They're, yeah. but they, they are now an intelligence service. Are they really? Yeah, I know. I mean, they're still Mounties. They're kind of. I think the Mounties are a bit like the US's version of the FBI or Australia's version of AFP. Except on horses. On horses with those really funky hats. Wide-brimmed hats. Very hard. It's very hard to do surveillance as a Mountie because that red jacket and that horse really stand out. <laughs> people, know, people know that you're there. It's, it's, a, it's a tough one. Don't mind me. I'm just out in the boot. I'm so, so old mate's out. We don't know where he is. Don't know where he is. Someone, someone knows. Someone would know. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, it's just to me, it's one of those awful stories in intelligence, and like there are, there are some terrible ones, and there's some stupid ones, but the fact that this he was swallowing razor blades in his yeah, cell, not ideal. It's like this is a man who is not in a good place, and the unfortunate thing was, I mean, DIO, the intelligence of DIO, it's military intelligence. What's DIO? Uh, Defense Intelligence Organization. Yeah. Also, my father used to work for them back in his Navy days. It was called back then. It was called Joint Intelligence, mm-hmm. and they are literally. Navy, Air Force, Army, they, it's the intelligence that these three services share. It's right. military intelligence. Yep. So military intelligence is even higher. It's a, it's like an order of magnitude even more controlled mm. because of, you know, it's real life and death stuff. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, okay. I was not the worst buy in Australia. I I, I don't even know if that's still true. <laughs> even after listening to this story, I'm like, well. Yeah, yeah, you know, he did manage to actually make some money out of it before he got arrested. So, you know, he, he, he had a better batting average than you, David. Yeah, and he lived rent-free for a while, so. Oh, yeah, but, mate, not a lot of fun in there. I believe the Wi-Fi in prison is terrible. Oh, yeah, would be. <laughs> 